Thank you, Dan and team. Does anyone else get goosebumps during that song? Uh, where was I? There was a moment when the sky lit up, a flash of light breaking through. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. I don't know. I just wanted to share that again because that gets me excited. That gets, oh, I don't know. I get goosebumps. I honestly do. Thinking of God crossing eternity for you, crossing the eternity for me, right? And he's on the move. And he was on the move then, and he's on the move right now. We've spoken about it in a few meetings at Rev Church that God is up to something in this place. God is up to something in our community, and we get a chance to join him in that. But enough talking about Jesus and his victory. Let's just talk about me for a second, all right? Um, I'm sure many of you, you're looking up here, you're seeing me in my nice green linen pants, and you're thinking to yourself, that guy must be a bit of a rebel, eh? <laughs> He's obviously pretty politically driven, kind of an activist. So if those are your thoughts, which I'm sure they are, you would not be surprised that in my younger days, as a teenager, I was involved in multiple protests. You know, walking the streets in large crowds with my friends, chanting, um, I don't know what we're chanting, hell no, we won't go, all that sort of stuff, fight the power, all that being. But I do have to be honest about it. Yep, 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 I'll be careful. Across these multiple protests, in fact, across all two of these protests that I was on, I'm not really sure what we were protesting, right? Both of these protests I was involved in was at um, the one-and-done camp of Insane back in Victoria. A few people were there with me. So you may remember these protests that we were a part of. Nah. Well, one of them was done by, um, run by Danielle Strickland. So I assume it has something to do with ending slavery, but I wasn't really sure. And the other one was just marching the streets, and all I remember about it was every other young person was wearing yellow except for me and my brothers. So I don't know what to pick up from that. But the idea of a protest, it's the vision that I want you to see, right, of young people or people of any age, actually, walking down the street, street in large numbers, right? They want to make a statement. They want to be heard for something that they care about. So you may not be the political guy I am, so protests may not be your thing. But maybe think of a giant parade, right? I don't know if anyone's had to endure Disneyland for a day, but at the end of the day, they have the Magic Happens Parade or whatever with big statements of joy is what it's meant to be there, where you see all the Disney characters marching through, big colours so that everyone can see and hear it. Or even more locally, we have... The Christmas pageant, for all those that go there year in, year out, which I now have to do for the rest of my life, since marrying a Casey and having a half-Casey child. But you think of that pageant, right? The big floats that are involved, that everyone can see what's going on. Everyone can hear. The purpose of that pageant, of course, is to spread the joy of Christmas. But parades like this aren't just common um, in our day. In fact, um, in first century Rome, 
parades would often happen. They wouldn't be with magic lights of Disneyland or a giant clown riding a tiny little bike through the streets, like our Christmas pageant. But these parades were generally royal ones, right? You would have a king or a mighty warrior coming back into town after victory in battle, after defeating the enemies, and crowds would line the streets. They would put palm branches on the ground and they would shout out triumphant joy for these returning victors. There's another parade that would happen each and every year around the time of Passover. The time of Passover being when many Jews went back to Jerusalem um, to celebrate the festival of Passover of when God delivered their people out of Egypt. You see, the town of Jerusalem at this time would grow fourfold. They reckon that it would normally be about a population of 5,000 Jews, but at this week during Passover, it would increase to up to 20,000. So in a bit of fear, in case there were any ideas of riots or plans to overthrow the Roman government during this time when there was the most amount of Jews around, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, would form his own parade. He would march through Jerusalem to remind everyone who is boss, who is in control. And this parade wasn't to invoke joy, but to invoke fear into an oppressed people. The archaeologist Joe Taylor states that Pilate's procession would have been a grand display of Roman power and might designed to impress the populace with the magnificent strength of Rome. Another account in the book called The Last Week, the two authors describe this play, this parade, as a cavalry of horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, llama, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glittering on metal and gold, marching feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, and the beating of drums. This wasn't just any sort of parade. This was a large-scale parade to strike fear into an oppressed people. So imagine being in Jerusalem at the time. Think of the large parades of protests you may have seen in your day, but imagine that that was to strike fear into you. So on one side of Jerusalem, you have Pilate rolling in, reminding the Jewish people that they are oppressed, that they have no power against the mighty Roman army. But then, in a small sector, as Jacob read from earlier today in Mark 11, you see Jesus entering in as a donkey. On a donkey, not as a donkey, because that would be a bit interesting. On a donkey, let's make that very, very clear. (laughs) Um, So this would have been happening around the same time. The story that was shared this morning is Jesus entering towards a Passover feast, maybe only a couple of days before or after Pilate has made his own grand entry. You have a mighty army, you have fear on one side, and you have Jesus lowly on a donkey on the other side. A comparison of two parades. One, the attraction of power and might of Pilate's military in all its glory and wonder. And the other, Jesus, 
unarmed solo and on the back of a borrowed donkey. Pilate was there to reinforce power over an oppressed people, but Jesus was coming with a plan to free a broken people through sacrifice. One based on control, the other based on obedience and submission. One showing what the world looks like in the kingdom of Rome, and the other what life is like in the kingdom of God. I kind of see Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey as kind of a protest against what Pilate has to say. A protest against Roman authority, but more importantly, a protest on how to lead and how to be a true king. The comparison, if you can think in your mind of these two parades, is an illustration of what Jesus tells his disciples about how we as Christ's followers should lead. Just the chapter before Jesus' triumphant entry in Mark 10, Jesus is approached by two of his disciples named James and John. And they ask if one day when Jesus is sitting on his mighty throne, if they can have the position to the left and right of them. Now, I can only imagine when they ask this question, they imagine a throne like what Pilate's got to sit on. One that is an earthly throne in all its glory and majesty. Not on Jesus' throne, which is established starting with riding on a donkey on the way to the cross. But Jesus reminds the two disciples that his kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, it does not reflect the kingship of this world either. Jesus' response in Mark 10, 42 to 45, he tells his disciples how we should lead. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be amongst you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wants to be clear. We don't follow Pilate's example or the world's example of authority. Instead, we are to humble ourselves to the downward position of servanthood to become great. I've got to be honest with you. I read that passage earlier on in the week and I thought, that's not too hard to do, right? I can be a servant instead of ruling over people. But as I pondered further and further onto it, it dawned on me that this position of servanthood isn't just a once-off occasion. It's not just the choice between a flashy war horse or a humble, lowly donkey entrance. But it requires following Jesus all the way. All the way from Palm Sunday to the cross that he sacrifices his life on, on Good Friday. If we are to follow Jesus' example, we must centre our lives around this cross. And that cross is all about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. And I just thought as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we reflect on Christ's journey to the cross, it is a reminder for us as individuals 
but also as a collective church, that if we really want to see Christ proclaimed, if we really want to see his name known, if we really want to see his kingdom come in the northern suburbs of Adelaide, we won't do this by gaining. We won't do this by gaining skill, gaining power or gaining influence. But we must follow Christ's example and be willing to lose. Be willing to sacrifice what we have so God's will may be done first in our own lives and then in our city. And now, I know this is a little bit unusual and a bit uncomfortable as well, but in the middle of this message, I just want to spend a moment in prayer to reflect on that, right? Just a moment for us to practically spend some time asking God what this means in our lives. What we must lose or be willing to lose to become great in his kingdom. What we must sacrifice to the cross. Not just our sin, but a sacrifice of ourselves. Maybe it will be a sacrifice of our time, a sacrifice of our skills, maybe a continued sacrifice or self-denial of our finances. Maybe God is calling you to sacrifice that dream or goal that you've always had that does not fit the will of God. Maybe it's time that God's asking us to sacrifice our own agenda or even sacrifice our pride. Now, I know you just sat down, Dan, but do you want to play? So we just take a few moments now. Dan plays. Let's, let's just sit in reflection. Let's ask God what he is asking of us this holy week, what he wants us to sacrifice. I'll just lead it in with a little prayer myself, and then let's just sit in reflection of this, what God wants us to take to the cross this Easter. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you first showed us the example of what it means to sacrifice, that you poured out, you emptied yourself of your mighty position and came to earth to be man, to enter Jerusalem lowly on a donkey, Lord. And we just ask in this time, reveal to us what you're asking for us to do, what you're asking us to give up so that we can serve your will. Lord, please speak to us in this moment.
hope for some of you, you may have heard the voice of God yourself now and felt the challenge that it means to sacrifice for His will. I want to remind you this morning that you don't do this alone, that the power of the Holy Spirit is with you. Um, that Jesus is victorious. So what we give up on this earth is nothing compared to what He did for us. And this is something that we, as followers of Christ, are called to do daily. Take up our cross and follow Him. So whatever it may be, if it's something big, I encourage you to talk to someone close to you and how you can do that as well. But the first, to summarize, the first takeaway I want to take for this Palm Sunday is that to be great in the kingdom of God, we must humble ourselves by taking the position of a servant. We must sacrifice what we have. We must be willing to sacrifice what we have to do the will of God. My second way, my second takeaway for this morning is in the actions of the crowd. Now I've heard Palm Sunday talked about pretty much every year of my life, but there was something that stood out to me as I read it over the last couple of weeks. You know, the crowd laying their palm branches down, cloaks on the ground. You put palm branches down as a sign of a conquering leader returning home. You know, I wouldn't just put my jumper down on a dirty, ancient Roman road just for anyone, but it would have to be royalty, right? And they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what I picked up this week wasn't in the account we read in Mark, but it's actually in John's account, as he mentioned something a little bit unique to the three other Gospels. In John 12, 17 and 18, John states, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign, that they had heard they had done the sign. The crowd grew because people had seen signs and the people that had seen the signs of God had shared that. And when people heard, they came to worship Jesus. Now, who in this room knows that Jesus isn't done doing great things? He isn't done healing the sick, providing the needs of people, breaking down walls that seem impossible. We sing this morning that all our lives, God has been faithful. All our lives, He has been so good. We are witnesses to His greatness. We are witnesses to His goodness. But are we regularly testifying of these things? Are we regularly sharing these things so that others may join and worship? There's a psalm that I just can't get out of my head this year. Maybe as being a youth leader, it's just stuck with me differently. But Psalm 78, it's titled, Tell the Coming Generation. And the psalmist writes in this psalm, I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He does. We're lucky enough here at Rev Church to have a window to see the coming generation. And I wonder how many of us How many of us are willing to or have had or will 
share the goodness of God to that coming generation so that they will know His goodness through our testimony. In prayer this morning, it was mentioned that even some people in this room need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness. Even some people in this room has forgot due to life getting hard sometimes of God's goodness. And we can pray, God, reveal yourself to them so that they are reminded of your own goodness. So they're reminded of their faithfulness. But what about if we were willing each and every week to come to church and share how God has been good to us so that no one can leave this building without being reminded of God's goodness and His faithfulness. So I want to leave you with a bit of a challenge, a bit of homework for the week. It says in Peter's letter that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who has asked you to give the reason for hope that you have. But he reminds us to do it with gentleness and respect. So the homework for the week, I want each and every one of us to find at least one person in our life that we can share our reason for hope, that we can share God's goodness in the hope that they may come worship Him as well. It may be discreetly, I simply mention a time Jesus has been present in your life, or who knows, you may, it may open up a whole opportunity to share the entire gospel in its fullness. Whatever it may be, let's be intentional. Let's just start with one person and see how it goes. One person this week, tell them how God has been good to you. Uh, Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you um, again for your goodness, your faithfulness that we have experienced, that we have witnessed in our own lives, Lord. And right now this week, We pray for the courage. We pray for the words that we may share in this goodness to others. Lord, give us the opportunity as we talk to our friends, as we talk to our families, our co-workers. Yeah, give us opportunities for your name to come up, that we may remind people of your goodness, that we may share to them the first time who you are and what you have planned their lives. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. In your great and holy name. Amen.